Welcome to The Long Take Review, a film podcast with one eye always on the Oscar race. I'm your host, Jen Subchakchai Banker, and I am so fortunate today to have my two favorite Star Wars friends with me, and we're celebrating May the 4th, which I guess if you don't know, people say May the 4th be with you, and that's why it has become Star Wars Day. So with me, I have Iron Cannon himself, Greg Cass. Hello there. Uh, committing to a visual gag on a non-visual medium, I am in full cosplay, which I thought we should all be doing, but I guess I'm the only one. I didn't get that memo, Greg. <laughs> I would have done it. <laughs> um, and and I also have the Ben Cuadernos of podcasting, <laughs> PT McDiff. Uh, long take reviewers are stronger together. Uh, happy to be here. Uh, I don't think I can emphasize enough the the panache with which Greg uh, pretended like his camera. He didn't know how to get the camera to work uh, in the lead up to uh, to the reveal that he is in fact gone full Kenobi. Let it never be said I don't commit to unimportant bits. I have to admit I was totally taken in by that. I really thought that you didn't. I'm like, wow, Greg still hasn't turned his camera on. I assumed it was like you're having a bad hair day and you didn't want to tell us. Um, <laughs> That's why you were like pretending not to know how it was working. Uh, but this is way better. Uh, so. All right. So we're we're going to break down our, our little Star Wars party here in two parts. First, we're going to talk about Return of the Jedi because it just came out. It was re-released in theaters in honor of its 40th anniversary. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. And then we're going to shift over to sort of generally the future of Star Wars movies and, and talk about specifically the Mandoverse. So, you know, how the Disney Plus series are potentially feeding into future films. So, But before we even do that, we'll do a really, really quick movie news check-in. I was originally going to skip this, but there was some big news that broke yesterday. The WGA, the Writers Guild, is now on strike does it, has anyone been keeping up with this news? I mean, I'm, I'm aware that they are on strike. I know some people uh, wh- whom this is affecting. Uh, and I don't know if that was the right whom. Uh, I, I, I'm very nervous uh, now because I've got two people uh, here who know how to critique me on grammar. Uh, but yeah, this that uh, the vote happened. Um, they are on strike. It's, you know, seems mostly sort of geared about streamers and and the like the the royalties or lack thereof coming from uh work done for uh for streaming services unclear how long this is going to be uh i haven't really seen or heard any estimates about like oh this is only going to be a week and it'll be fine um so i don't know what the outcome is probably not going to affect many movies you know it, it imminently like because obviously those are written and filmed and in post-production um but uh, you know any movie that might have reshoots um on deck and obviously any movie that's going into production or currently in production um could be affected by this we could get a lot of quantum of solace type uh, <laughs> uh poorly constructed uh set pieces uh over you know over the next two and a half years uh because of uh because of the strike yeah, it doesn't sound like it's going well. So I the the little reading and listening I've done on this, it sounds like, you know, as you said, a lot of the the problems that they're trying to address are largely it seems like it's affecting more TV writers than movie writers and it's due to the shift to streaming uh and that just like seasons of television have gotten so much smaller. Like instead of a 24 episode season, a show would have like eight to 10 episodes Some in some cases. Um, you know, we've definitely seen that with the the Star Wars 
series uh that you know this and and especially marvel like we've gotten six episode seasons in some cases uh and so that apparently has really affected the size of writers rooms and kind of like there are a lot of issues with compensation around that um and it sounds like that the streaming cert like like you know they're they're basically digging their heels in and not agreeing to anything the podcast i was listening to uh, pop culture confidential this morning and they were interviewing um Tom O'Brien, who shows up on Next Best Picture and Gold Derby sometimes, and he is a part of the the WGA, and he was saying that they've only agreed to have meetings, mm. and they have not agreed to like to any 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 of the requests, and they have not counter offered anything. So that to me, that's I think we're in for a long haul, and so yeah, I I I second what PT says in terms of how the ripple effect that this is going to have on the film and television industry. I, I was thinking a lot about the last writer's strike, which was happening in the middle of like when I was a really heavy TV watcher and I was watching even like a lot of late night shows, which, you know, those were kind of the first to fall because there there were no monologue writers uh, all of a sudden. Um, and just how like I think the fact that my watching habits have changed so much is exactly why they deserve more money. Right. That that the old models for how they were compensated just don't fit anymore with the way people are streaming content and, and the way revenue is built. So, um, you know, so far, I've just mainly seen a lot of the kind of splashy celebrity posts about I stand with them. And, um, you know, we're talking Star Wars today. So I saw even um, Charles Soule, uh, who's one of the big writers who does the novels. He he is a, a member of WGA East. And he said, you know, he's on strike, his pencils down. So, um, you know, I I am not smart enough to know if that means, you know, if he's working on comics and and novels, is he doing that work, but ignoring the work he should be doing to consult on a TV show or what have you. Um, but uh, it's going to be interesting to see, I think, to the point um, both of you made, like when we actually see these effects, because I'm not feeling it probably this month, but, you know, a year from now when there's a bunch of movies that clearly needed another pass at the script, maybe that's when we'll start to feel it acutely. Yeah, I think there was a news article that popped up in my feed the other day that was like, because so many studios are like rushing to put out new articles being like, this is finished, like to, to kind of reassure people that like, mm -hmm. oh, all your favorite, some of your favorite shows are still happening, right? This is, doesn't mean that things are shutting down. And I think one of the comments in response, because I think it was about House of the Dragon, like House of the Dragon, the scripts have all been finished or something like that. And someone was like, yeah, because first drafts are always the best ones or something <laughs> like there was some snarky comment about like, yeah, because things don't need rewrites ever. Um, so, yeah, that's that's. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see. And, you know, again, to bring it back to Star Wars before we move on, I think uh, for me, and I'd, I think all of us are pro writing in some varying, varying capacities. We are all teachers of writing and, and you know, um, writers ourselves. And writing often makes a huge difference in terms of if something, it's like in terms of really elevating something or making it work. And oftentimes if something is not working, you can kind of point to the, the screenplay and you know, we, when we were talking about Andor, I feel like that was a huge part of the conversation, right? That that the the Tony the Tony Gilroy factor, right? And that he was so so powerful with the writing. Alex. Anyway, yeah. So we talked so much of the conversation about how wonderful Andor was was really rooted in the writing and the, those beautiful monologues and and everything mm -hmm. like that. So I like this is a it's a real shame that this is happening, and I hope it resolves in a way that the writers are happy with. Yeah. Go, go, go writers solidarity with with them i i, I hope they get all that they deserve <laughs> in, a, in a good way
Yeah, it was like the word deserve there. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that sounded meaner than it <laughs> um, Okay, so so now we can move on to uh, you know happy happier news. Uh, Return of the Jedi was in theaters. We got to see it. Uh, so I want to start with kind of going into this screening. Had you seen Return of the Jedi on the big screen before? What was kind of your relationship to the film within the Star Wars franchise? What were your kind of expectations going in? <laughs> well, I'll say I believe, and this is, it's hard because I saw two movies very close to each other. I think Return of the Jedi is the first movie I ever saw in a theater. Mm. Uh, either sometime in... 1983, I would have been five years old, um, or I would have been four when the movie came out and then turned five right after. And uh, I saw that in a re-release of E.T. like that summer where those were like one. So yeah, it's 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 deep in my core as uh, a movie going, uh, being dedicated to the theatrical experience, uh, as we discussed last time. Uh, it's it's right there. It's It's at the foundation. And uh, yeah, I've seen it, you know, a few times since then, some... Uh, revival, uh, uh, revival screenings, um, you know, in the, in like high school era. And then the special editions came out. Um, and, uh, I actually saw a 30th anniversary screening here in LA with Mark Hamill doing a Q and a beforehand, um, which was, uh, incredible, obviously. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's return of the Jedi. I, I love it. <laughs> I love that movie. Great. Can I, I had definitely seen it in 97 and uh, I saw it uh, this weekend with a buddy and we were both debating whether we had seen it ever projected theatrically besides that. And the consensus we came to is that we'd been to an Empire screening at Celebration Orlando uh, uh, the year Last Jedi came out. Uh, was that the 2016 or so? 2017 probably. Um, and uh, but hadn't seen Return of the Jedi, so I don't. I don't think I had seen it in the theater since the special edition. Um, and uh, you know, I'm I'm a baby compared to old man McNiff here. So I uh, had I was not around to see it in 1983. I was born in 1983, so I'm I'm turning 40 with Return of the Jedi this year. Um, and so. Uh, uh, it was a, a real treat in 97. And, you know, I was, I think I was like a seventh grader. Um, so it felt like they'd released it because I had suddenly become interested in Star Wars. And so, oh, we'll, we'll put him back in theaters for you, you young man. Um, <laughs> and then uh, to see it again this weekend was was a real treat. I It's really funny to me, the discourse around the OT. Uh, I feel like now you like have to say Empire is your best, you're the the best one, your favorite one, or else you're kicked out of Star Wars Club in some ways. I used to always say that I thought um, Empire was the best film, but that Return of the Jedi was my favorite, and I think that was my way of kind of sneaking around. Like I know what I'm supposed to say, but I really like this. So, um, you know, recency bias, what have you? But I had such a great time at Return of the Jedi. I think it, it does stand as as probably my personal favorite of the OT, even if it's the lesser film in some ways uh, than perhaps what the others mean to pop culture. Yeah, for sure. And actually I am probably the worst, which tracks with my, my history. I'm the worst at seeing movies in theaters again. Um, <laughs> because I have until this past weekend, when we went to go see it, I had never seen this film in on a big screen. I'd only watched, you know, probably my VHS tapes when, when I was younger and then, you know, uh, in various digital forms. Um, so, although I have to say before force awakens came out, I think there was a screening at my husband's work 
that mm-hmm. that was but but and like so someone basically was like like projecting the despecialized editions from their laptop so i don't know if that counts uh but it was a bigger screen than than i had seen it before um and in general yeah i love this film it's interesting i've kind of been on a journey with it where it used to when i was if you asked me when i was really young it was my favorite i would say that it was my favorite star wars movie mostly because i think for me star wars is at its best when it's being weird and cute um, you know, and, and that might be because I have an extensive collection of plushies and like, I love the creatures and all that kind of stuff. And I feel like this movie really delivers on that more than, or the most in the original trilogy. But as I got older, Empire definitely kind of started to appeal to me more because it's a little darker. It's a little edgier. There's more cinematically, I think probably to appreciate. Um, and so, so yeah, I would, I, I like, I like your solution Greg of like saying <laughs> one is your personal favorite and the other one is the, is the best one. Um, but yeah, I also had a great time watching this in the theater. I thought it really was a was a special thing. Yeah. So how like let's tell me a little bit about how did you see this in the theater? What were the circumstances? Uh, I got out of work early on uh, Friday. I got out at like two o'clock and I had uh, gotten permission from my wife to be a total deadbeat parent and just left uh, for the day. And um, so I went and I went uh, two in a row. So I went to the 415, grabbed Shake Shack and grabbed uh, the 715 showing. Um, 415, I actually went by myself and then 715, a friend joined me. Um, And it was fantastic and i really enjoyed going there i think i assumed they were just playing the latest version of them which was confirmed once it 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 started to roll and you could kind of piece together which changes were there and, and all that um but i had a hyped crowd and so i was worried about a little cynicism i actually was holding my breath for when hayden appeared if he would get booed or something like that but the crowd was into it there were cheers when the lucasfilm logo appeared um not quite as rambunctious as you know at celebration like Zuckus appears in Empire Strikes Back and the Zuckus heads are going crazy and shouting <laughs> for him. But like uh so it wasn't quite that much, but the crowd was definitely into it. Um a surprising number of college and high school kids at the four o'clock showing, which uh, you know, I I didn't know if they would go see a 40-year-old movie, but it clearly meant enough to them. There was uh, a couple behind me that uh, a couple uh dude bros, college age, uh, that were talking about how well, you know, Thor Love and Thunder is the worst movie I've ever seen, except for the new Star Wars movies. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, then why are you here? And this is, you know, before it began. But then we're totally into it and cheered along. So whatever kind of got them there and over their hurdle, it was it was a good time. And I had a great time seeing it. Well, PT and I actually got to see it together. Mm. So that was extra cool. Um, we went PT uh, and Jasmine were gracious enough to drive all the way down to the theater that's 10 minutes from my house (laughs) Um, to make it super convenient for me. So I really appreciated that. Um, It made it so I was, I was neglecting my family a little bit less um, in total, uh, which was, which is always good. Um, But yeah, I think we, we saw it. It was, it wasn't a packed theater, but it wasn't empty either. It was, you know, it was, it was decently, there were empty seats, but it wasn't, you know. um, And And this was on Sunday, right? Because that mine yes. was Friday, so yeah, this yeah. was we were Sunday, Sunday, and it was midday. It was like a twelve thirty screening, so that mm-hmm. might have been also why there it wasn't as full. Um, it was more people than I expected Sunday at at you know at lunchtime. Uh, yeah. It was it was robust. Hmm? Yeah, and we also had a lot of tweens and teenagers in our yeah, screening. Not, not a you know there was uh, 
it was like you know clapping and cheers for like the 20th century fox fanfare and for a long time ago and everyone there was like a a a burst of applause at the opening note of the of the fanfare um and you know people were into it there was laughter at like the, the 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 jokes um but there there wasn't that sort of um what can sometimes in my mind feel a little like performative where it's just like, yes, that's Han Solo. <laughs> um, and now we all know that's Han Solo. Um, and which I'm into. And like, if you're, if you're in that zone, um, but uh, sometimes it can feel forced. Um, we we had that when we went to go see Empire Strikes Back in concert. Yes. Mm. It was like yeah. literally every time any character came on screen, people were like, woo! <laughs> and it's like, okay, like, let's just watch the movie. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah. And uh, yeah, I think our, our screening, oh, people, people cheered for Hayden. Mm, nice. Ours. It wasn't. It wasn't like a raucous cheer, but it was like a hey. Kind of mm-hmm. <laughs> um. So so that was yeah. That was really interesting. PT, you did you want to share your the the sort of damper on your experience, which me two seats over well encounter. It was, I mean, and, and in retrospect, it was actually it was it was more cute than not. But there was uh, to our right, there was a a you know, young child. I was like eight to 10 years old um, and uh, and his uh, presumably dad, a, a, a male guardian who had brought him to the movie um, who I, I can only assume has no idea what is happening or, and, and does not want to have any idea really. And like, there was just a lot of chatter because it felt like the kid was translating in from English to a, a, a language I could not identify because they, they were trying, you know, they were trying to whisper, um, but like sort of like explaining what was happening and what was being said um, to the adult who uh, was, you know, dutifully listening uh, and then taking out his phone and then just like playing on his phone for like sections of the movie, um, which, you know, in, in reality was annoying in my peripheral vision and my peripheral audio uh, uh, w- sphere um, hearing sort of blah, 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 and then like <laughs> seeing a screen pop up um, but you know once once sort of time passed and I wasn't like this people need to stop it it was kind of cute that like this kid was super into it and really excited um, and was you know trying to like lure you know in the same way that I'm sure like when I was 8 or 10 and I was explaining like and then in this book like this is what happens to Luke Skywalker <laughs> um, to my parents who are like yeah these movies are enjoyable trash. Like, I'm glad that you enjoyed them. Um, you know, whatever. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, so it was, it was sort of ad- adorable, even though like right when the movie ended, I feel like Jen was like, that was great. And I was like, these people wouldn't be quiet. Um, and so, uh, you know, that was, that was my, my bad on like the immediate uh, post post movie energy. Yeah, I was on the, I was in the end of the aisle. So I was just in my own little world with our, our large popcorn that I was filling everywhere as I was eating it. Cause I was trying to share it poorly. And it was just, it was, yeah, I was, I was great. Were there, were there things during this watch that you paid attention to, or you noticed that maybe you hadn't on previous ones? Um, I mean, the, I'm going to steal an answer that, that you said in person. Um, but I, it was, it was true for me as well. I was really on the the edges of the frames uh, uh, to be like, oh, look at all the all the creatures. Look at all these action figures I've overpaid for um, <laughs> to have on my shelf uh, for for the Jabba display. Like, yeah, that guy really is in there. Um, and uh, you know, like, so I was really looking, at, you know, on the things that it's it's uh, uh, harder 
to not as a it, it's sort of harder to see on a TV, but also like I'm usually so locked in on what's actually happening um, in the uh, in the in the scene that it's um, you know it's hard to pay attention. So I use the big screen um, to do that. And the other the the sort of I guess one thing that hit me this time that doesn't which is is small but um since you asked uh is it really felt i really felt this time the sort of arc of once the the battle starts on endor um and the the ewoks are are going after the imperials how much the sequence is the ewoks like trying to figure out what is it that like stops these things that they're like okay i'm gonna like throw something at this walker that doesn't do anything okay i'm gonna hit its foot okay that doesn't do anything and then eventually getting to the like oh the logs need to like smush its face or we have to roll logs to like trip it and it just it it for some reason seeing it in the theater felt more like that was a kind of deliberate trial and error development uh, you know of mm-hmm. the ewoks kind of like okay let's try this nope that failed okay how about this other thing okay nope that didn't work oh this is working like let's let's do more of this um which you know potentially undercut some of that old school 80s criticism of like it doesn't make sense that the teddy bears beat the <laughs> the big thing it's like well i know but it's like they, you know you walk you walk stronger together like they're working and and figuring out what to do so i don't know that really the, the rhythm of that scene you're really played um you know of that's the, the, the those elements of the scene uh, I thought played really well. Yeah, and I think the, I, the as you're talking describing that, I'm like, would that scene happen in a movie now, and a big budget action movie now, like a Marvel movie or something? You know what I mean? Like, would mm-hmm. we get the multiple tries? I feel like the answer to me, I feel like the answer is no, which is too bad. And like, that's one of the things that I kind of thought about as I was watching this is that it really takes the time to build in quieter moments and kind of reaction shots and like, and take a beat. Like, you know, even if it's like the camera holding on Vader's face as he like tilts his head. Right. Or like the, the, the rancor keeper crying after the, the, (laughs) after, after Luke uh, slays or beats the rancor. Right. Um, It's like little touches like that, that kind of build both character moments and kind of evens out the pacing, right. Where it's not, which is not just go, 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 which I feel like a lot of current franchise films have, that issue where it's just there's all full steam ahead for three hours and you're just like oh i'm exhausted um and so i thought yeah that was the thing i noticed more this time around kind of comparing it to to movies that we get now um how about you greg yeah i, I want to pick up on a couple things you were just talking about i i think that pacing thing generally is is to its strength but i will say especially the second time in one afternoon that mm-hmm. middle section really drags um and i always remember this because i would put on the vhs that you know i'm sure was taped off hbo and that's where i'd fall asleep if it's like you know nine o'clock at night i'm starting the movie i'd just zonk out somewhere in that middle section and wake up to the blast of the end credits and so it definitely is like a slow part of that movie kind of what from when they leave Tatooine through the Yoda scene through the um through a couple of the the kind of meeting up and then getting there and it really doesn't pick up again until after uh the revelation between Luke and and Leia there in the middle so so it is it is an interesting pacing thing so I I also spent a lot of time on the edges of the screen particularly in Jabba's palace and there is one shot that 
really impressed me that had never stood out before, which is um, it is the when the droids arrive and we are back in the alcoves and the camera pans across two openings and Riggs is behind the column and he kind of shifts his body as the camera passes him by. And I was like, that's just a really cool shot. And to put you deep into those creatures. Um, but that starts with Yak Face and Jay Quill and pans across Riggs. There was also uh, an extra who uh, primarily played an Ishi Tib, who was like acting his heart, his or her heart out when um, after the Rancor dies, they cut back upstairs. And there's this Ishi Tib just like gesturing wildly like, I can't believe this happened. Like uh, it cracked me up and it was it was so great to see. I, I actually played an Ishi Tib in our first Star Wars RPG. So I've always had a soft spot for that species. Um, but then the last one that is not something either of you said that I'll point out is um, sometime on a recent home viewership, I uh, caught the rebel trooper who is most famous now because people say it's Rex. Right. And it is very confusing because about halfway through the battle, when um, the, the raiding party gets brought out of the bunker, he's suddenly in scout trooper armor. And there's no explanation for why there's a scout trooper in the kind of crowd of people being held uh, captive before the Ewoks come. And um, in on in this viewing, you can actually see him. I, I noticed for the first time, they what they do is that Han Solo taps the guy on the shoulder and they run around the edge. And then the next shot as the raiding party enters the bunker, you see him standing and putting on the gear, which I had never seen before until this. I, you know, I used to watch it on pan and scan full screen. So I'm sure he's not even there on, on that version. Um, so you can kind of see this whole little narrative where like, oh, okay, there was one guy standing out front. So if the troopers come back, we need one guy standing out front. They dress this older trooper in it. And then when, you know, the full garrison comes, they, they arrest him along the rest. So that was like one of my favorite little pieces to watch it's it's very much the flavor of rats tyrell in the uh, phantom menace how there's a whole narrative happening on the edges of the the padre scene so um it felt like george doing his his old tricks yeah and i feel like the world building in this in this one is so great because i was a, a while back i was on the wampus lair podcast and while that is a stain on my podcasting record because of Wedgegate, where i i conflated <laughs> Wedge and Tilly's and Biggs, which I will never live down um, and is a forever shame um, uh, uh, for me. But uh, the we were doing our top five favorite minor characters and it was so hard for me not to just pick all of them from the Return of the Jedi. And like we just mm. like and I think both of our lists probably like really leaned a lot on Return of the Jedi, like Salacious Crumb, Max Rebo. Um, I mean, Admiral Akbar is my all time favorite minor character. And, you know, this is his movie. <laughs> Um, and so like i i was the only one in our theater who was like yeah when he (laughs) when he when he says it's a trap um so uh, i felt like there was there was some akbar appreciation when they he first appeared when they're you know they're going into the home one briefing and they cut to him and the one or two other uh mon calamares there was a little ripple of energy maybe that was (laughs) internal and i externalized it um but i i feel like there was some akbar love in the room well and carl who i carl from wampus layers who i saw it with and he and i both pointed at the screen for the mon cal that misses the monitor do you know this guy (laughs) oh yeah The, the extra turns around and is supposed to have his uh, flippers on the monitor and he's just touching the wall and then the extra <laughs> catches on and moves over and then starts touching the screen. It's very funny. Um, you know, it's it's the return of the Jedi version of the stormtrooper bumping his head. Essentially, mm-hmm. 
I, I still really like Mon Mothma's facial re- expression while she's listening to Akbar deliver the like plan <laughs> where she just, she just like really looks ho- like he might, he's might as well be describing some sort of genocide. Like she's like, she looks so horrified. <laughs> it's like very distracting. Her, um, her delivery of the many Bothans died is still like, that's one of my favorite uh, a weird, just sort of weird vibe moments uh, in in any of those of those original movies. Uh, something I, I want to say that like I was reminded of watching it this time um, is, and I think this is, speaks to what both of you were saying earlier about um, you know like what's the best versus what's the what's the favorite. Um, but like I don't know if I ever was like well, Return of the Jedi is my favorite. Uh, because I did always love Empire Strikes Back before it was cool. Um, sure, sure. But, and also, and again, maybe this is the like I'm speaking with with children who are five or so years younger than me. That like you know, by the time I was catching on, I don't know. Um, but like uh, that you know, when it was sort of like I just need a hit of some Star Wars. I need like thirty. Like I need a TV episode length of Star Wars. The opening Jabba's the through the mm-hmm. destruction of the sail barge. That was the one episode of Star Wars television that existed. Um, you know when it was just like I'm just going to do like a, a quick something, which is crazy because now we have you know whatever like 80 hours um, of you know between animated and live action of uh, of, of TV that we could watch uh, if we need need a fix. Um, but yeah, that that opening scene is that opening sequence um, is is incredible. I want to shout out my favorite shot in the movie um, got me so amped up both times. So it's as the fleet is massing, there's this tracking shot of the Falcon swinging through the fleet and the, the model goes away from the camera and then something passes at the front of the screen and then it's roaring back across kind of there and you get to see all the starfighters and all that. And it's just, it looks so beautiful on a giant screen and, and with really good sound. I mean, the sound is also I, I forget when I watch something on my TV at home, I'm like, yes, the picture quality, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, no, but to see it with real sound instead of my crappy little TV speakers is is a real benefit and uh, just wonderful. All the little bits of dialogue I caught, I'm like, oh, that's what they said there instead of mumble, mumble, <laughs> mumble. So it was it was a great moment. And that shot has this roar of the Falcon engine and it's it's really exciting. To, to shout out my, my favorite shot, which also benefited from, uh, it's a great point, the sort of the theatrical uh, sound uh, sound quality is uh, in the, the the duel, the final duel, um, when they move out from underneath the, uh, the the Emperor's platform and the camera like pans past the stairs and, and Luke is snapped and he's going uh, after Vader and the, the Emperor's theme is just like, really like that, that 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 low rumble choral is like building um that sort of mixture of the music uh which is obviously so crucial to uh to star wars succeeding um plus the sound effects of the lightsabers plus the camera work which is you know generally not flashy but like richard markran does do a few like 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 greg mentioned earlier in Jabba's palace there's a really great tracking shot um, moments that, uh, that that he does, or maybe Lucas did, because I know he sort of oversaw the more actiony <laughs> thing. But whatever, like that 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 shot, like that's that's a goosebumps moment when I'm just thinking about it. But seeing it in the theater is just like full full chills, and especially you know the the, the character um, moment where it's like this is this is the precipice of when you know Luke could fall 
um, which is uh, is something else that hit like watching it this time was thinking about what's the what would this be like seeing it for the first time in a theater, which, again, I don't recall. I was too young um, to actually remember my feelings. But, you know, the movie, it does clearly sort of set up. Luke could go to the dark side. Han Solo could die. And, you know, in retrospect, we know. Uh, you know, and it's like in our bones what happens that, that those things don't happen, but like the pieces are all there for those two potential bad outcomes to happen. Um, and you know, I think the movie is pretty successful at like getting you to believe it, even when you kind of know, but this is the end of the trilogy, they're not gonna do that, right? <laughs> Say the thing that took me by surprise during this viewing was how gripped I still was by the the final scenes with the emperor vader and luke and just like you know because i've seen it so many times but the fact that i was still kind of hang like you said like hanging on the edge of my seat being like oh like what is what is like you know what is going to happen even though i know what's going to happen <laughs> um and just like the the writing in that scene is is you know it's pretty unadorned but it is so good because it's it really just gets it drills down to the core themes of you know, Luke still seeing the good in his father and not willing to give up on that. And in the end, that that's sort of what what helps him pull through. Um, and then and then in the end, that that's what makes Vader finally come back to the light side. Right. That he that he sees because it's it's really when he sees the emperor hurting Luke. Right. That he kind of makes that turn and, and says, like, no, I'm not going to I'm not going to stand by while this is happening. Um, and 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 so, yeah, it's it's pretty simple in storytelling but it's so powerful um and i remember yeah that that just took me by surprise that i was still sort of in that headspace when watching it for the umpteenth time it's funny how like the nose which felt like a deep like problem when they were introduced like all those little changes don't matter to me anymore like they kind of all blend together yeah some of the old cg doesn't quite age as nicely as the practical effects or what have you but it's funny that you know in the wrapped up emotion of that scene, it's like, yeah, I don't really care whether he talks or not. It's it's about the emotion and what the character just went through and, and just, yeah, I'm in it. I'm in that moment. It made me also, they're releasing that Lego set and I was like, I got to get that Lego set now. <laughs> uh, it always comes back to the merch. Um, <laughs> I will I will disagree slightly in that it those things do still bother me. And that's, uh, it, it's, 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 it doesn't take me out of the, moment but i do like i do long for the like what's the, well just give me the like actual 83 <laughs> version of this i i the, the there's there's very few times that i get the like dig in my heels stamp throw a tantrum of like this is not my star wars <laughs> um but uh you know one of them is uh a one one of the later era movies um which maybe we'll be discussing the last one to come out uh in the theaters i just whatever um and the, the, these special edition changes i don't i don't know i don't like it i don't like i if you if you're gonna have hayden be um the force ghost then Owen mcgregor should be obi-wan that's that's mm. all i'll say <laughs> two things listeners i got the full version of this lecture after we came out of the theater when i was like oh i actually because i actually had forgotten about the whole ending being different mm. Uh, because probably because last time I saw the movie maybe was the de like was a despecialized edition or something like that. But um, the whole I didn't remember the montage of the different planets at all 
this was like oh. I was like what <laughs> like what are we doing and I forgot that there was no yub nub and then I got really sad because I really oh. like that song um <laughs> but then the other thing was uh um I can we you can't see this listeners but PT is actively like repressing all of his it's fine <laughs> I, i'm also regretting that like the, the narrative of us seeing it was just me coming out with like n- anger and negative energy between the <laughs> other people in the theater and the, the 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 changes to the movie um which i didn't mean i didn't mean for that. i had a great time <laughs> and and i loved it mm. i think it's just I, I think it is hard that this maybe this is part of uh an inherent problem of fandom is when you're just like I loved everything about that movie except for, mm-hmm. uh, and then like the except for is something that feels more interesting to talk about when, whatever. Like I'm glad we're mostly talking about all the things we love. That that is better. Well, and and I just I will put my nerd position on the record that that being said, while those things don't matter to me deeply as much anymore, um, I do think it's kind of a crime against cinema history that they don't have the originals available anywhere. Like. Yeah. I also like somebody on um, 70 millimeter pointed this out this week because they were doing a new hope. It's like put the three on a disc, charge a hundred dollars for that disc and you will have a mint like all the money. Nobody's not going to pay whatever you want to pay for those. Um, uh, So I I do think it's it's kind of crazy just that that those versions aren't available. Um, there was somebody in my theater who definitely wasn't expecting the Gungans uh, to show up in that final <laughs> montage. And he gave a big, not necessarily angry, but like a what? Like a, a shock and disbelief. And and it is, you know, I, I agree with the song as well that like there's something charming about Yub Nub. Yeah, it's super cheesy, but, um, you know, I think it, it works a little better than the kind of pan flute finale <laughs> with a weird drum beat put into it just so they can still use the Ewok on the helmets that matches the other song but you know <laughs> yeah I feel like the Ewoks are such a critical part of this the story especially in the last act that like taking away their victory song seems seems like a disservice to them it's it's like undervaluing their contribution to the rebellion <laughs> um, I was gonna say I was I was also gonna note um and again this is not to, to dwell on on negatives per se um but uh, my, uh jasmine my my girlfriend who is uh been sucked into learning about star wars in a way that she never would have ever wanted to she's always sort of been just like these are movies i see like once and that's fine <laughs> um and so i don't you know has watched return of the jedi um, I think probably twice since we've uh, uh, been together, uh, but this is obviously the first time in the theater. And so she has a sort of uh, a babe's innocence of like, what is the, the worst thing? And she was just sort of like, does it seem weird? Uh, and, and this was honestly, she honestly had no idea that, like what door she was opening. It's like, does it seem weird that like, what like all like the end of this movie was like erased by like what happened after that? Like, you know, the Mandalorian and and then like the, the other movies that like they never really won anything. And it was just sort of like, oh, you've like tapped into like a deep level of like fan <laughs> angst um, about the sort of direction of the the overall narrative um, in the in the in the uh, you know, post Lucas uh, Disney era of the sequels and, and the Mandoverse. Um, so, yeah, she was Jen and I were very good at like responding to that in a, you know, in a short <laughs> enough amount of time 
time that we could have conversations about real life during lunch uh, after when it, it threatened, it th- really threatened for uh, the whole meal to go off the rails. Shout out to Jasmine, who at Star Wars Celebration, I think at the uh, the big Lucasfilm live panel, ended up sitting next to me, turning into a like raving lunatic with excitement and just had to witness that and yet continued to speak to me like I was still a normal human being. So she's obviously a champ in that regard. Or, or she has experience of living with someone who does the same thing all the time. Yeah. She's completely unfazed by anything like that, I think. Um, all right. So that was actually a perfect segue because my next question was going to be, how does this film sort of interact with the rest of Star Wars canon now Because in, in both directions, right? Like, is there are there things that we now have story-wise that kind of recontextualize things from this film and vice versa? Like, how does this film kind of like cast any any sort of story context onto things that we've gotten more recently? It feels very small and quaint compared to some of the like big crazy things that we've gotten lately. So I'll I'll lead off the discussion with just an old version of this, not that recent. Um, but I confess to Carl as we were walking out, whenever I see Darth Vader, I don't think of Hayden Christensen in that, there to this day. Like I, that's not to undermine the prequels or the performance. I know I, I'm also wading into dangerous waters, but I will say just in my head, those are different characters. And as much work as they've done over the years, including the Kenobi show to to merge those, I'm just always like, yep, that's Darth Vader. Like that's not Anakin inside there. And, and even at this movie, I love the ending of, of that story and the way they reunite and, you know, let me look on you with my own eyes and all that stuff really is wonderful. But I'm not in my head going like, that's the guy I hung out with in the Clone Wars. Like, it just doesn't do that for me, even though I love all those bits of his character arc. I, I actually have never, like, consciously thought about how I feel the exact same way. Of just sort of like, yes, well, Darth Vader is Darth Vader. And I know that Anakin Skywalker becomes Darth Vader. But that's just like young Darth Vader. In the degree I, I link them, it's just sort of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the guy who becomes the character that, you know, I do when I was five years old. Which I think it, that's part of it is that like mm-hmm. we had these before we had the other stuff for so long. And it like seared into uh, into our, our being. I, I also agree with you that it does sort of seem quaint. I remember feeling back in the day that return that like uh, uh death star 2 battle above endor was like the biggest craziest thing and now we have rogue one and even some of the fights in this uh the uh ship to ship battles in the season of the mandalorian seem almost comparably complex and blown up and large as as this thing does so it um it does it does sort of feel small i i also Watching it this time made me sort of think about how much, I don't know, like benefit of the doubt or grace, like fandom in general should should uh, extend to uh, some of the new uh, Star Wars things, even when we're like, I don't know mm. what's happening here. Um, because again, I don't know why somewhere in the back of my mind, maybe just being in the theater, I, I, I was sort of like processing this as like, what was this like to watch in 1983? What was this like to watch when like you only knew the first two movies and if you knew them really well, this came out. And, you know, the, um, the sort of pivot with Luke to being like, you know what? Like, actually Darth Vader can be saved. Like does like if you were going to approach it in the way that like, 
you know, someone who hosts a YouTube channel might watch uh, a new uh, episode of uh, or new installment of Star Wars. They might be like, well, where does that come from? Like, he just sort of starts starts saying it to Obi-Wan and then he says it to Leia and then he's suddenly like, no, like, you're good. Um, And it's just like, what evidence of that have we had? Like, no groundwork, Mm. blah, blah, blah. Um, And similarly, the like, and actually, you have a sister and actually, it's Leia. And actually, we've all known that. Like, didn't we all know that all <laughs> along? Um, and, you know, that part of that is a behind-the-scenes reality of there was going to be, um, you know, when they were make, you know, initially putting together Return of the Jedi, there was going to be four more movies instead of one. And there was going to be another trilogy that was Hunt Down the Emperor and uh, uh, find Luke's sister off in another side of the galaxy and, and reunite and train and blah, blah, blah. And then... For various reasons, George was like, I don't want to do all that. We're just putting it all into <laughs> one movie. Um, and, and it all kind of got condensed and suddenly Luke and Leia is a sister. And that's, again, the way it's always been. And we're used to it. And we've seen them be born together. And we've now seen them both as played by young child actors. So, um, you know, we're, we're, we're very prepared um, for that. But, in, you know, in the moment, it does, you know, sort of feel like, crammed in uh in a way that i think you know again if it were today people would you know be rioting in the streets about like bad storytelling they didn't they didn't plan this they didn't prepare the story blah 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 um and so you know what if we just let that wash over us and see if we can just experience like happiness and joy from it the way that most of us do from return of the jedi um (laughs) and which is i don't want to say don't be critical and don't um you know raise uh, raise concerns uh, and questions, but it's also sometimes good to just kind of pretend we're five again and let it let it just be uh, and see if we can enjoy it on its level. I thought of that at a very, very micro level um, many times. Uh, the, perhaps the first one is the droids jump off the sail barge and then there's like a little magnetic grapple that picks them up and then the droids are just magically on the deck. And it's like the the things we see could not do that at all. And I had that exact same thought. I'm like, if this were in The Last Jedi, there would be like outrage in the streets and flipped cars because absolutely can't work. It makes no sense. And it's like, it doesn't matter. And the other version of that is when the uh, the gang gets captured and are taken to the, the Ewok village, there's this shot of them carrying um, C-3PO in his... Uh, chair i forget what the name of that kind of chair is uh it's like a throne uh, chair yeah Uh, and and they uh get right to the edge where an ewok very clearly swings on a rope and it's like yeah that chair's not going anywhere like that's the end of that story like they just have to stop there but nobody like nobody cares it's like yeah whatever like it's just setting up the world and it's giving you a little you know uh fun and it's and it it is i think you're right there's there's a place to be critical i think you know, all of us would say, be critical of filmmaking, be critical of the writing. But we could also be a little more generous and say, like, hey, let's just enjoy these little details and not worry about the logistics of how exactly C-3PO is standing on the deck in the next shot or, or what have you. <laughs> You're making both making me realize that maybe Star Wars has had an even bigger influence on the way that I watch movies than I thought, because... In general, I'm not the kind of moviegoer who tries to pick apart the logic of anything. I'm mm. I am I'm ready to go for the ride most of the time. Like I'm just, you know, with the, with the occasional exception. Um and I'm just yeah, I'm very it's easy to suspend my disbelief. 
Um, I'm, I'm just going to go with it. If you're telling me, like, I'll, I'll believe you. And, and so I feel like maybe that comes from my love of Star Wars that like that's that has trained me to just enjoy what I'm getting and kind of like trust the storytellers that they're going to take us on a fun adventure. Um, sorry, my cat is trying to join our recording. Um, <laughs> Wampa, we're not talking about Empire. You got to come back. <laughs> and yeah, and I, so that yeah, that's really interesting to go back a couple points to what you were talking about with Darth Vader versus Anakin. I feel like maybe whether I don't know if this how intentional this was, and obviously it wasn't intentional because there was no way for the creators of this film to to know what would come in the future. Um, but I feel like it's built into the story through Obi Wan Kenobi, right? The it's the certain point of view thing of like you know to me they are two different people, right? Like that to me, one, one died when he turned, when Anakin turned to the mm. dark side and then Darth Vader was born. Um, and so I feel like that's really convenient from a storytelling perspective in terms of franchise storytelling, because there's a built in sort of like philosophical separation between the two that will make it, makes it easier to sort of be like, Oh, like they are two different characters and yet they are on one continuum. Mm -hmm. um, so, so that I think works well. And then actually like, as you're talking, I'm thinking back I know there was a lot of debate about Obi-Wan Kenobi and the series and how it kind of retrofitted the original trilogy because it kind of had to be like, you know, it had to be had to maintain continuity. But I feel like when I was watching Return of the Jedi this time in the theater, the the conversation between Luke and Leia, where he says, do you remember your mother? And her her answer just means so much more now to me mm. because it like in a way that is better like makes sense where she's like you know like at the at the time if i had seen it in a the theater in 1983 i don't know if i really would have thought have you know having no knowledge of the prequels no knowledge of the obi-wan kenobi series i don't think i really would have it would it would have registered as very meaningful as a phrase right i would have just been like oh, okay like that's what she thought um or there's a story behind there but i don't know what it is but now that we do know what the story is i feel like it carries so much more weight um so i i really like that that there's sort of like an interplay Mm -hmm. retroactively to to be the person that goes in and i know this has been said but many times so i'm not going to belabor it to nitpick some of the connections um and and this is the the sort of uh, about i guess the making of the prequels more than about you know this movie itself but the the lines that sort of are like huh like just a little bit um after after the prequels came out one is the from that obi-wan scene um when he's just like well i thought i could train uh train him as as good as yoda and i was wrong which like i've always really liked alakinus's mm. delivery of that like i don't know whatever i'm wrong about something that's in my head uh, <laughs> i'm just like i was wrong um but then it's just like is that what happened like he went through like i mean there is that sort of like i'm gonna train him and it's like well yoda doesn't agree but the council does and it's like okay like i guess um but that feels a little bit like you know in the same way that you can watch star wars aka a new hope and be like what does this world seem like what are the events of the world seem like if you try to erase the see every other movie that came out um it feels a little bit different um you know it sort of feels like obi-wan was like secretly doing it without anyone else knowing and then screwed up um so that's an interesting sort of contrast um and then uh, uh the, the that leia line where it's like well what, what is your real mother like uh, you remember your real mother? She's like only like shadows, images. I was very young when she died, and it's like, yeah, we were. We've seen it. it you were like forty seconds old. You were incredibly <laughs> young. Like Luke was only like five seconds younger than you. So like that doesn't fully match up. But there's something in there about like, well, she could sense Padme with the Force. Like you can you can head cannon that away. Um, but I think that you know when. Uh, I, all this is to say, I think when we talk about like how does Obi Wan Kenobi the show 
like twist, you know, trying to like manipulate itself to fit in and does it fit and blah, blah, blah. The prequels had to do the same thing. And mm. George was just like, who cares? Like, it's fine um, <laughs> because he's George Lucas and he can do that. And I think that everyone extended him. Oh, not, I shouldn't say everyone. Certainly not everyone. Many of us uh, extended him more, you know, a little bit more grace to be like, yeah, this is your story, dude. Like, you do, do whatever you want, which maybe, you know, he's earned more than the people who have taken over, taken the reins over. Um, but I think that especially maybe for any folks out there who are prequel kids who are, you know, pro prequels and are just like, uh, I only believe in the six movies of the saga. It's like, you had to do the same thing like with the prequels <laughs> to have them fit with the original movies um, as you have to do with anything that's come out since to fit with those six Anakin saga movies. <laughs> Ghost Obi-Wan having to sit down is another one of those little things that I was like, why would you can project yourself through time and space, but you, you have to sit once you do so because you're tired. Uh, it doesn't really work and would be the source of a YouTube video. Um, uh, Jen, I'll, I'll let you take it. I was going to start talking about sequel trilogy. So maybe you have another point related to the prequels. first. No, I was just going to say we're kind of moving into I mean, I was going to go go Mandoverse. But we can mm. we can do sequel trilogy then Mandoverse. I just feel like we're naturally segueing into the second half of our conversation about sort of like the where where the where the franchise is going and kind of like how how all of since we have so much Star Wars now how is it all holding together? Um, so yeah, take your point. Yeah, well, so uh, I had a, a good friend who really really disliked the sequel trilogy before it was cool to dislike the sequel trilogy. Uh, and so um, when Last Jedi came out, they were freaking out and so on. But one of the complaints that was made frequently to me was like, well, then Return of the Jedi doesn't mean anything if if the New Republic falls. And I think that does fit in now with how we're thinking about the New Republic in light of the new season of Mando, which I think changed a lot of people's impressions of it. And the kind of reasoning I always gave is like, you know, World War One ended, and that was important. And yes, the resulting peace directly contributed to World War Two, and yet we still would celebrate the fact that we ended the First World War. And then, yeah, World War Two happened, and and I still think that kind of nerd argument lo logic largely holds for the larger galactic, um, you know, what uh, the silly Ultron line of, uh, or no, it's Vision of, um, you know, a thing isn't beautiful because it lasts, right? Mm -hmm. But the the attempt to reach peace and to end tyranny mattered, and yeah, maybe it only worked for. 30 years but hey that's 30 years where we weren't killing each other all the time although maybe we were learning we were doing worse things uh to each other during that time so i i will say that for me personally up through last jedi totally works for me and all that i have more trouble applying that logic to the fact that palpatine is out there and all his real power is hitting on another planet and this probably is mainly rooted in my love of last jedi and my skepticism of a rise of skywalker but i do think if we're thinking about kind of how these later things impact return of the jedi we can't ignore the fact that like okay so he didn't die and none of that mattered although he also had like a billion star destroyers on ice somehow and so I, i'll stop but i think it is harder a harder pill for me to swallow in some regards after now seeing the full sequel trilogy yeah i i will uh say i fully agree with uh with everything you're saying i i actually thought even though there was some degree when the force it was just the force awakens was out when it was just sort of like is this like too hard a reset 
Um, which, you know, there, there's obviously meta reasons for that of like, people didn't like the prequels. Let's do essentially get everyone back to, 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 uh, first position. So we, we remember a new hope. Like what if we kind of did a new hope again? Uh, and you know, uh, it was great and ev- everyone loved it. Uh, and it was great. You know, there was all kinds of there enough changes and blah, blah, blah. Uh, and there, but there was that feeling. I mean, I mean, opening night, I, one of my, my friend Rob was just sort of like, is it a problem that they didn't win? Like the end of Return of the Jedi, like is no longer like a victory. Um, I think that World War One, World War Two comparison is is uh, apt and and strong. That you know, peace isn't um, forever. Peace isn't inevitable. Um, it's you know, there's there's always not a problem or or feels like there's a problem of like there's not as much time as you think in between each trilogy uh, in the of the three trilogies in the Star Wars movies. Um, but you know. Things move fast sometimes. Um, I, I will say watching uh, watching Return of the Jedi again in the theater only underscored that I was like, I Palpatine just should have died here. Like, this is the death of Palpatine. <laughs> I can't believe that we, like, that this was a choice that was made. Um, but again, I'm, I'm treading close into, like, not my Star Wars territory. So <laughs> I won't, uh, I, I won't belabor it. So to segue us from somehow Palpatine returned to we're cloning uh, with the Mandalorian uh, there there. I think, I think I did it. Uh, you know, I really wanted to focus in on since we just finished season three of the Mandalorian and at Star Wars celebration, Kathleen Kennedy announced that one, three new films. And one of them is a film by Dave Filoni uh, that will, according to star Wars.com, Focus on the New Republic, right? So very, very much tied into what we've been talking about right now. Uh, and clo- close out the interconnected stories told in The Mandalorian, The Book of Boba Fett, Ahsoka, and other Disney Plus series. So I think, you know, from the film side, we are heading towards this event film, it sounds like, with all of these series. And so my question kind of is, like, what do what do we think that means for the larger franchise. So like what, you know, what impact is that going to have on star Wars as a larger story universe? And is star Wars going to become too much like the MCU? I will, I will say, you know, the, the marvelization uh, or the marvelification of, uh, of star Wars is something that I think has been just, you know, speculated since they were like, and here's all these shows and we're going to do all, you know, we're going to do all these movies and there is uh, you know, the long list of movies that were announced or heavily rumored um, that haven't made it. I, th- I think it's up in the double digits at this point um, in the, in the Disney era, if you count trilogies, at least. You put a Wikipedia article in our Google doc. Yeah, it's, right? there's, there's a lot. And, and this is only ones that sort of were officially um, I think like officially spoken of um, in, in terms of an announcement, you know, it doesn't include the, the Josh Trank, um, Boba Fett movie. Um, it doesn't, I don't think, yeah, this list doesn't include the Zack Snyder, um, Seven Samurai movie that has become Rebel Moon. Um, a, a, a not the non-branded, the, the, um, Kirkland Star Wars that's coming out on Netflix. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you know, there's, there's been a sort of lot of stops and starts and it, 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 there's been a sort of worry or or at least uh, observation that, um, you know, that could be like, well, Marvel's been really successful. Maybe Star Wars wants to copy that, which I think is sometimes rooted in 
uh, or or is certainly um, fueled by this idea of like, well, now Star Wars is not owned by its creator, George Lucas, but it's owned by Disney, an evil corporation that's big and blah, blah, blah. And so it's going to do the same thing that like Marvel did. Um, but I think that, you know, th- that was fear mongering. But now that like Marvel has had some uh, stumbles or at least, you know, there's been some uh, some sort of more negative reaction from uh, even the sort of I think people who are really into um, the MCU. Um, it, it's it starts to be like, well, is this even a good model? Um, all that said, you know, Star Wars is like based on old movie serials where it's like here are little like episode uh, episodic stories. Um, the idea of like here's a bunch of stories that are all going to grow and be interconnected and you know lead up to one big finale doesn't seem like it's not part of that heritage and not part of that uh, uh, sort of you know, legacy of where it's coming from. So I don't think it's a bad idea to sort of build up to a movie, especially when <laughs> there's a degree of well, you know, when is Star Wars getting back into the theaters? Which is it's kind of funny that it's like it's been four years, like we haven't had a movie. <laughs> and it's just sort of like, oh, child, let me tell you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, you know, I'm I'm I think it's something to be wary of, and I think we can get into a discussion of is it affecting the storytelling choices uh, of the series as they exist um but i think as a as a concept of like how how this is going to end or at least you know sort of this this era of the mandoverse will will wrap up i'm excited for it and i think there's a piece in what you just said that makes me think a lot about the way just knowing that changes all fan perceptions um and i i don't disagree that marvel is in a bit of a stumble right now but i think what struck me as somebody we were just bragging about before we got on air that Jen and I saw Iron Man early at a preview screening 15 years ago. And uh, so I've been there from the beginning uh, before the rest of you. But there was this weird um, thing that happened around the pandemic where everybody was stuck at home and they're like, now's the time to tackle the MCU. And so there was this big surge in, at least the way I perceive it, in in fandom for it. And then because the expectation was everything matters, everything counts, Marvel really stumbled because it's like, no, here's Shang-Chi. And sure, it's, it's in the same universe, but it's kind of its own thing. Isn't this cool? And people are like, no, <laughs> no, Black Widow, no. Like, it's got to connect. And if you're not advancing the master narrative, then your entry is meaningless. And of course, this is hyperbolic, but that's roughly what I heard from a lot of people. And so I think Star Wars is in for trouble if everything becomes it's advancing one big story and we have to do that. Now, I'm saying that as somebody who reads all the novels, all the comics, absolutely everything related to Star Wars I consume. But at the same time, it's like I do that for fun. I don't do that for the hidden secret pieces that are going to unlock the season three finale of Boba Fett for me early or something like that. And so I think they're going to have to train Star Wars fans on how to consume some of this and what the expectation should be. To continue the Marvel comparison, I will say I thought this season of Mandalorian made me much more nervous for the MCUification of Star Wars than previously um, because it felt to me like it was having the same problems um, phase two of the MCU has where it was suddenly like, no, here's Thor two and you should care. And you're like, 
I don't, this is really bad. Like, I don't know. And so this effort to kind of connect it made the actual core of what is Mandalorian weaker. So my personal take on this season of Mandalorian is when it was focused on Din and Grogu, great. When it started trying to pull in all these other strands, it just lost its way and was not as sure-footed about what it is. And I think what Star Wars has done in the last five years or so is when they're not sure, they go back to fan service. Mm -hmm. Whoa, 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 sorry. Yeah, we didn't mean to get rid of Grogu. He's coming back. Yay, here he is. Be be happy about that. And and, and again, I, this isn't hate on Rise of Skywalker, but that was a lot of it. Like, oh, whoa, whoa, did Last Jedi challenge you and make you rethink what heroism is in the modern age? We're so sorry. Here's your guy. Like, don't worry about it. Uh, everything will be as you expect it. Um, and so I, I do think that in my opinion star wars's problem is it needs to stop listening to fans and as a fan talking on the internet as we speak um you know <laughs> stop listening to us and just be bold and hire creative storytellers and let them do what they want and don't rein them in um and maybe that list of people's projects that don't end up coming to fruition will shorten right because they'll want to stick around and they'll want to see it uh get all the way there so um so i'm a little nervous if, if i'm being honest about the this big project if that's all star wars is but you know the fact that they came out and said it's this and it's james mangold doing something really wacky twenty five thousand years ago and some love for you know the new jedi order or something new um i i'm sleeping easy because it's those three things and not this one thing mm. right mm. they're not putting all their chips into one bag that's not a metaphor um the <laughs> or wait there, there is eggs in basket eggs in, it's basket. Eggs in a basket yeah. yes they're putting all their so you mean putting all the on fruit in, in one starship i don't know something <laughs> star wars <laughs> um no you really make a good point because i feel like there are two two competing meta narratives and we just heard that coming out of celebration right the idea that like you know all of these things are going to converge and come together but then we also have been hearing like you know, we're going to be dabbling like we and, and we've seen this with Marvel as well, I think, and not as successful probably as as it's been so far with Star Wars. Um, the idea of like we're going to hire a bunch of creative talent that ha like people who have their own style and their own personality. And we're going to give each piece of this puzzle to them with Marvel. I think that largely hasn't worked out because it's like there's not enough of the personality. Like and I think Taika Waititi probably would fall under this like that, like. Everyone loved what the him putting his stamp on Thor Ragnarok, but then like Thor Love and Thunder, not so much. Right. And or like people oftentimes get swallowed up in the the story continuity machine. They have to stick to the brand and not kind of do make their own choices. So it's like this mm -hmm. weird in between space. And so I feel like we're hearing the same thing with Star Wars potentially of like, you know, the Acolyte sounds like tonally like a super unique thing that's dealing with with genres that we haven't really seen in star wars before right um skeleton crew like like i think a lot of the way that the, a lot of the the log lines for these shows are picking and choosing different genres right and it's not about kind of everything being the same and everything being contiguous um you know like like skeleton crew is supposed to be basically like an amblin movie from the 80s in space right so like um and so, yeah, I feel like can the, the question becomes, can those two things coexist, right? Can you both, can you have your cake and eat it too? Can you both have sort of the creative freedom to let your talent kind of do their own thing and experiment and take risks creatively, but then also serve, like like Greg's saying, serve this larger 
story that the fans are demanding, right? That everything has to fit together. Everything has to be advancing and working to it. I'm, I'm so tired of hearing podcasts complain about like what we don't know where the MCU is going, like demanding <laughs> like that, that we have some sort of like very uh, transparent master master plan of like oh we don't have a uh, we don't have a clear trajectory for where these movies are all going to go as one big story Mm -hmm. um so yeah i hope i hope that they kind of that star wars tries to balance that in a way that's healthy um yeah what do you think yeah the i think the the what both of you are saying the sort of lorification of fandom is it's not great uh or at least it's I, i feel like it's not a healthy way to try to experience stories um i remember reading and i feel like i want to be like it was this like great scholar but i'm, I'm like it, it was a twitter thread i read once from someone with like a cartoon avatar and a, and a, and a weird name uh that i don't recall but you know that was it was like what different kinds of fandom do different things and that there's um a a a, a sort of a one way to approach being a fan is cataloging and it's just sort of just like well here's everything that happens and i know the name of every alien that's in java's palace and i know you know every new episode or every new movie of the mcu or of star wars is just sort of like immediately just kind of like i look at the credits i know this guy is this is this person's name and this is what sort of alien it is and blah 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 and it's just like i know all these things and i memorize it and you know that's a way to sort of be like that's how i'm a fan um and there's other sort of generative fandom which is like i make fan art and i um, cosplay and I, uh, you know, whatever, whatever it might be. Um, and that's some of that sort of falls along sort of, uh, uh, you know, gender lines and, and racial lines where it's sort of like how representative, how represented were you, uh, especially to talking about star Wars, like, you know, it was like the s- straight white guys were just sort of like, yes, I know everything. And I learned all the things because like they're represented in the stories very clearly. And, 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 uh, uh, voluminously um i didn't say that right but that's fine um and then other people were like well, i gotta make my own versions of the stories to fill it out so i think that you know this sort of pivot to like what's the lore and how does it add the lore and how does it advance the lore and you know watching things to just expand wikipedia entries is um not healthy and doesn't seem like a very um productive way of thinking about it um so that's one thing i want to say the other thing i want to say about all this, I, I agree that I'm, I'm more excited about uh, the idea of Dave Filoni directing a live action Mandoverse finale movie because it's not the only thing that's happening in Star mm. Wars. But uh, I will, I will um, again, hearken back to talking to um, innocent babe in the woods, uh, Jasmine, uh, about like her experience with Star Wars. Um, when we first started dating was like the fall that, uh, you know, The Last Jedi came out. And I was like, hey, I'm going to see this movie at least three times um, the first weekend. Do you want to go? um uh at least one time and uh she was like yeah i guess i just really didn't like the last movie like i just didn't like it and i was like oh like you mean rogue one and she was like yeah i don't know why they recast the girl and then killed her and so <laughs> like she didn't understand that like rogue one didn't star ray that with a new actress and then mm-hmm. she died at the end um because you know and that's partly because like you know she probably wasn't paying super close attention but i think that we as like in deep in in all of this fans are very comfortable with the idea of like yes you're going to do three movies one of them is going to be way far in the past and one of them is going to be the end of the mandoverse and one of them is going to be after the sequels 
I wondered the degree to which um, regular people are going to be like, what the hell is happening? Like, what is going mm-hmm. on? Um, and, you know, I, I, there's all sort of speculation about why is it that people didn't go and see Solo, about the timing, about the backlash, about just not wanting to see that character played by someone else, about the quality of the movie. But I think that part of it was could have been uh, more casual fans, blockbuster movie fans who are not necessarily locked in, just being like, what? Like, Han- but Han Solo died? Like, what's happening? <laughs> um, and, you know, kind of just sort of floating away. So I, I am curious if this plan will work where, you know, the MCU is generally pretty linear. Uh, I know there's mm. been a couple of, you know, Captain Marvel was in the in the 90s and Guardians of the Galaxy 1 and 2, you know, sort of volume two of Guardians of the Galaxy stayed right where the first movie happened, even though time's gone by. But mostly those are linear if they're sort of disparate in genre, disparate in characters. Um, it's it's You can kind of follow along pretty easily, um, whereas that's not how Star Wars has been handled ever, really. Yeah. <laughs> I do want to talk about Mandalorian season three. So I'll pick up on a, th- a thread from what you just said, uh, what Greg said earlier of like now this season makes us more nervous sort of for the the sort of larger event based uh you know everything ties together storytelling that it seems like we're gonna get um we're a couple weeks out from the finale of of season three have your feelings about it changed like what is the, the the retrospective of two weeks sort of afforded you either positively or negatively hey visions is coming out tomorrow Oh wait, uh, I do need some legitimate thoughts on Mandy. Um, I, I'm just gonna be deadly honest because what is the long take known for except its honesty? I just haven't thought about it. Um, you know, Mando has never been like a core part of my fandom. I don't dislike it at all, but it's not something I watch over and over again every season. And it's kind of like. Yeah, it's a thing that happened. I like not waking up at 5 a.m. <laughs> Isn't that Star Wars fandom where it's like, eh, it's fine. I have to be up at 5 a.m. to watch it, but it's fine. Um, but that's kind of where I was. It's like I enjoyed it. I consumed it. I, I, you know, critiqued it. I did all those things. And then it's like, haven't really thought about it. Um, and, you know, I think that's partially because for me, each season of Mando has been diminishing returns for me personally that I thought it was really interesting and cool when it was so different and doing its own thing. And as it's increasingly doing the same thing, every other star Wars does, I I found it less compelling. And, um, you know, in particular, I thought the writing this season was really weak and there's, there's speculation online that that's because Dave Filoni was less involved this time around. And, Maybe that could be true, um, but I'm not even talking big lore stuff. I'm talking about an episode where you establish that jetpacks only go so far, and then two episodes <laughs> later, somebody flies to space in one with one. Like, I just, I want whatever. I just want like internal consistency on whatever these stupid made up rules are. So, so I had a lot of trouble with Mando, and and as such, you know, I think my fandom. It's there's been a lot of Star Wars books out lately. I think I just kind of moved on. Jedi Survivor is out, which is phenomenal. So I'm just moving on. Uh, which I I don't know what that says, if anything, to larger trends in fandom. 
Uh, now, Greg, I don't believe that those ships were in space. They were in low orbit, uh, in atmosphere. Um, I don't know if that's true. But I do think that... Anyway, I, I agree with the the critique of the writing. I have always liked... I think I've liked Mando more than you. Like, this is sort of tapping into that Western um, vibe uh, is is something that, like, the scum and villainy side uh, has res- you know, resonates with me. Um, and so I've been kind of locked in. Uh, on Mando. Uh, that said, um, I, I agree that there's you know much more. I, I have concerns, and especially concerns with the um, sort of just the, the, the storytelling, the, the sort of narrative foundation um, of uh, of this season and and what it might mean for going forward. Uh, I actually, I, I also feel a little differently in that to me, like the second season of Mando is like my favorite of the, of the ones that, that existed. And um, I, I think that uh, I, I don't want to fall again into the trap um, that I think the sort of the easy um, ecumenical critique of the sequels is just like, it just feels like they didn't have a plan, um, which I, I don't think is uh, accurate. And that's a, maybe another conversation for another day. Um, I, but I also am very uh, like for me, the last Jedi made the force awakens uh, a much better movie. Um, like seeing the last Jedi I was like, Oh, okay. Like this, put the, pick the ball up and move forward. Um, and then the, the problem is then, uh, as Greg mentioned earlier, that the Rise of Skywalker felt like, oh, okay, wait, 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 you know, you okay, you didn't like that. All right, wait. Um, and you know that uh, if you go and and read uh, or listen to the podcast version, audio drama version of the Colin Trevorrow script, which would have made one of the weakest Star Wars movies we've had, um, it at least connects in with like the other movies in a way that feels like, no, no, they had a conversation. This was planned out. Um, so it's not necessarily that's a plan, but I don't. I feel like there's been a problem with some of the narrative goals and and sort of almost like just character goals of like you know for mando season one and season two it was just like i understand what these characters want and what they're aiming to do and they hit obstacles and you know that like what's unfolding um but for um a a you know one of the timeline portions of book of boba fett and for a lot of mando season three it's just like i don't even know what these people want like what are they trying to do and you know, I don't know if that is, you know, an attempt to sort of bob and weave and like undermine expectations or get people um, guessing about what's going to happen. I don't know if it's an actual like sort of treading water of they're trying to figure it out as they're as they're working on it, um, or uh, if and this is also branching into. Um, uh, internet speculation that's probably you know unclear how founded or or uh healthy it is um that it's changes that get made in the process because it's like oh you know here's our reaction to focus group messaging or you know what now we're going to do a movie down the road so like don't do this here now like we're going to do it later in some other show or in a movie and so you know that maybe there were things that were going to happen this go around that got moved and, and uh, you know, or, and then replaced with sort of uh, stuff that didn't really connect and felt like a lot of treading water. Um, my, uh, you know, the, my version of the jetpack, the Chekhov's jetpack of like, what's the, what exactly is supposed to be happening here? Um, which again, wasn't my observation. This is one of my, <laughs> one of my buddies um, noted at first was how many times this season um, the same bit of exposition was repeated through an episode. 
um, where it was just sort of like, we're going to explain this, but we're really going to explain this. And that didn't really come to anything. Um, the sort of standout for me is the episode where we first see the like, the jetpacks only don't go so far. The, the, the child's been taken is up in a nest. They're like, there's like three times that they're like, we cannot use a jetpack because if it makes too much noise, it's going to wake up the mother and the mother's going to come and attack us. It's like, they say that before they leave. They say that on the plane. They say that at the base of the mountain. And then <laughs> no one uses a jetpack and it doesn't wake up the mother and it's not a big deal. And so it's like, what are we doing? Is that like, you know, is that an issue of editing after the fact? Is that just like a weird sort of storytelling stumble? But, you know, it, it felt like a little micro uh, uh, example of the issues with the season of like the pieces not fitting together in a way that like made sense. I mean, there's parts of it that I loved and I had a great time, but um, you know, it's, it, it definitely felt the shakiest after two seasons that ha- seemed to have a pretty clear, like this guy is going to commit to uh, uh, you know, baby Yoda, the child Grogu. Um, and you know, that's the first season is like, I'm going to be the the guardian of this. And then it's, we have to get, um, we have to get him to his people. We have to get to a Jedi. That's the second season. Like, what was the goal of this season? I guess it was Mandalorians come together, but that never felt like, you know, they didn't really feel like that's what was happening until it was just like, oh yeah, Mandalorians, we're together now um, at the end. So yeah, it's it's interesting how shaky things are getting. There's so many different things I could pick up on and continue. I think, let me start with, just my general thoughts on the season as it applies to some of what you said. So for me, I'm kind of of two minds of the season. Cause on the one hand, I really loved the broader story that we got of going back to Mandalore as someone who really loves the clone wars, the Mandalore arcs are, are among my all time favorites. Like the, like those are, those are the ones that I remember the most even years after having seen them. Um, and, and so to me, I was, I was really excited about the prospect of, you know, expanding the the world of the show, The Mandalorian. And and I, I do agree that, like, I think largely a lot of the issues with the pacing and the structuring and the people being uncertain where the season was going, I think that's probably largely a byproduct of them trying to expand and not really knowing quite how, knowing that they wanted to and knowing that with this other movie that we're working towards that they have to, but at the same time, like it's out of going out of their comfort zone, right? So the, it makes sense that the things that would have been firing on all cylinders with like, oh, this is about this is a lone wolf and cub story about about a Mandalorian and um and 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 the child and like you know like that cornerstone. I think a big complaint people had of the season was that that just got lost for many episodes at a time, right? That that wasn't the main the main attraction of the season. But on the other hand, like I because I love I you know I really love Bo-Katan's story. I love her arc, and I love the idea of different Mandalorians coming together. I you know on the one hand I like that they did that, but on the other hand, as a as a fan who knows a lot more about the backstory of Mandalore, mostly from the Clone Wars. I feel like they didn't actually do enough to satisfy me. Like, I think they got caught in the middle where they were like, well, we mm-hmm. can't mention Duchess Satine because no one knows who she is unless you've seen the Clone Wars. Right. Um, but then I felt that that for me, that made it feel like a lot of a lot went unsaid with Bo-Katan. Right. Like where like I'm like, well, how would she go like talk about her relationship with Mandalore and never mention Duchess Satine? That makes no <laughs> sense. Um, or that just seems like a missed opportunity. And I feel like they didn't trust the audience enough because I feel like in past seasons, I'm thinking in particular, well, actually I'm thinking of the book of Boba Fett, which I keep 
thinking is the Mandalorian. Um, but the 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 scene where Paz Vizsla fights Din Djarin with the dark saber, you know, we get a pretty big exposition nugget from the armorer about like the like, and she's she's telling us things that we would have seen or would know about from the Clone Wars, and in a way that I thought was like pretty accessible for someone who hadn't seen that. But I feel like we just didn't get any of those moments in this season where they just kind of skipped over all that. And they were like, um, and that to me actually felt like a very Marvel thing where it's like a lot of people who are deep in the comics are bringing something to it, but it's not visible to people who are watching who don't have that, that context. Um, And so that, that to me is kind of like that combined with feeling like we over speculated when the answer was simple all along about in terms of where the finale was going. Right. Cause there was all this, this discussion about who was the spy and like, and it may really brought me back to season finales of certain Marvel series where it's like, Oh, we created this whole meta narrative with the X-Men with WandaVision. <laughs> and it turned out it was, it was just a normal guy, right? Like it, like what well, it didn't amount to anything. And like, mm-hmm. yes, that is on us as fans for like, overhyping things and kind of getting too excited but at the same time i feel like we, with marvel series at disney plus series in particular a repeated criticism has been oh the simplest outcome or the most obvious outcome was was what happened and i feel like that's sort of what happened this season as well i yeah i think that i agree with that makes sense i will say i don't think i think it's easy to get locked in on like we were all worried about like the spies but I think that like the show in certainly invited it with the the episode titled The Spies. But even like the 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 lead up to this season, you know, it it did feel like it was setting up a story where it was almost gonna be a, like a, a triangle of the armorer as the sort of religious zealot, Bo Katan as the sort of power hungry um uh exiled leader, um, and then Din as this sort of, you know, his own kind of person figuring things out. And I like the idea of, but actually the season is the three, you know, th- those different types of people, those different like sections, factions need to work together and actually unite. But then like there wasn't really a lot of conflict between them uh, during the course of, uh, of of the season. And, you know, I, I will say at this point, I don't know what I'm supposed to think about the uh, um, children of the watch as uh, a, a sort of fundamentalist um, extremist group. It, it, it really felt like, um, you know, with season two and especially with, you know, the season 2.5 parts of the book of Boba Fett, where it was just like, yo, like, do not trust the armorer. Do not trust this. Like these are extremists. Um, Din, you got to get out. Pedro, we got to see your face. Like we need to do this. <laughs> um, but like, it feels like this season has been a little bit of just sort of like, you know, can't we all just get along? And like, mm-hmm. and what if we all, you know, we and, can all just be man in our own way. And we did. <laughs> um, but like, it's, it's, it is interesting. That, and I think maybe this is um, a thematic thing more than uh, a narrative thing, but you know, it, it, it just, it feels like there's these uh, threads or elements that are set up and then sort of left to dangle, um, which uh, I don't know. And maybe this is also me bringing too much real world stuff into it, but the like, no, I think the like religious salad extremists, like we just need to be nice to them and we just need to accept them <laughs> and let them be, uh, be part of things. And we're just all going to work together. It's fine. And also maybe democracy doesn't work. It's like, wait a minute, like John Favreau, <laughs> what's happening? Um, like this is, uh, you know, so, so I, it's, it's, 
it is an issue of like fans like churning and and coming up with with theories. I was a hundred percent in on the armorer was a spy because I was like, oh, like she's been working for Gideon all along. That explains her inconsistent character. But it turns out she just has an inconsistent character, um, and uh, and that's it. So uh, you know, it's it's partly on us for doing that. It's also, I think, a degree on the show for not having the clarity of mm. uh, you know both sort of setting things up and then closing it off in a way that will resolve any such speculation. To pick up that thread and then in the show notes, we are looking forward to Ahsoka and uh, Onward. Um, So I will say a lot of what you're both saying makes me very nervous for Ahsoka. So the first is, uh, to PT's point, they have to have a really strong vision for this and it has Mm -hmm. to be something really specific. And then to pick up what Jen was saying, I think they're going to get it from both sides. I mean, my personal moment of that trailer was when Ahsoka says heir to the empire and every star Wars nerd book, uh, (laughs) book nerd from the nineties freaked out and got so excited. And then it's like, but now you're demanding that we compare this to heir to the empire and not just the literal text of heir to the empire, but what heir to the empire meant to us. And so I think that's danger. That's playing with fire, right? Of getting the fans hyped up in a certain direction to then go in a new direction as it should go in a new direction. They shouldn't just adapt those books. And I think they're going to get it from the other side. Cause there's a lot of skepticism still about this Ahsoka. And is she the Ahsoka? That means uh, what it, Ahsoka meant to the nine-year-olds in 2008, right? Because that character has such heavy importance and it's going to be really hard to please those fans. And so you've got the the 90s fans pulling you one way. You've got the, the you know, the post-prequel generation because Clone Wars generation is almost its own micro-generation there. They're pulling you in an entirely different way that Ahsoka better be the center of this. Never mind the Rebels generation that's suddenly like, what? We're involved again, too? Like, this is awesome. <laughs> and so I think it's it's really dangerous turf. And, um, you know, I, I said it the last time I was speaking. They have to teach us how to watch this. And they need to be very clear on what this show is or isn't to both manage those expectations and to, you know, calm us down in a lot of ways. <laughs> And, and to add another faction to that, there's also the people who are like, I don't know anything about Ahsoka besides the fact <laughs> she showed up in Mandalorian and, right, and yeah. Boba Fett. So, like, I don't know who Sabine is. I don't know who Hera is. I don't really – I don't even really know that she knows Anakin beyond the fact that she said it once to Luke. Like, yeah. those people, the live-action-only people also exist. Um, and that's going to be interesting to see if yeah and a lot of those folks are readers of the long take uh i think i think a a lot of positive feedback i've gotten on my reviews is sort of like the deepening and like sort of like the 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 extra context information that we can provide have knowing while having watched everything and read everything and knowing everything and being being been to the panels and you know like we've got the full experience and so i think i i often see my reviews the role of my reviews as sort of like distilling all that, what's the need to know for this, for a broader audience. Um, And yeah, that's going to be really interesting to navigate for all the reasons Mm -hmm. you just said in terms of there's so many plates, cannon plates spinning in the show um, that it's going to be hard to pick and choose what to explain. I feel like, (laughs) Um, but we'll have to, we'll have to see. Um, So yeah. are, Are there, how does the knowledge that we're headed towards an event film change if at all what you think is coming for the future series ahsoka skeleton crew i guess future seasons of the mandalorian 
I mean, I was confident Thrawn was a major character in Ahsoka, but now that there's a movie, I don't know if that's true. Mm. Mm. So you think we might get a delayed reveal of Thrawn? Yes. A lot of people thought Thrawn would show up at the end of Mandalorian season three. I mean, I would say, like, again, based on nothing that I've seen or read or any kind of a rumor, like, if there were tinkering with the story of Mandalorian season three because of the development of, like, the meta development of the plans for the show, that could have been one of the things that changed. Was there, like, the initial draft when they were going into filming season three had Thrawn showing up. Um, at some point and then that got like no 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 wait we gotta save this because we're building towards blah 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 that's my speculation and I mean reports are that this movie is probably five to six years out so I think to think of it all as a slow burn and and the moment in the spies episode where it's like well where is Thrawn and Paleon's like he's coming like <laughs> no idea I think I think it is going to be a really slow build Um, I I Maybe prove me wrong, Star Wars, but I bet that little shot of Ezra in the hologram is maybe all we see of Ezra, even mm-hmm. which uh, prior to some of this, I would have said we'd get there much faster. Now, I was entirely wrong. I mean, I said all of season three would and Mandalore would be a, the quest and that was wrapped up in two episodes. So maybe they right. will, you know, surprise me again. But um I it's I mean, I I can't pretend like, oh, well, now I'll watch it all because before I wasn't going to. Of course, (laughs) I was going to watch it all. But um, I think I worry about it putting a set of expectations on skeleton crew in particular, because that seemed like it was going to be best as understood as a fun little, you know, side project. And now it's like, no, this is woven in and these characters matter. And 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 again, I don't know enough about what goes on in Lucasfilm. Maybe that's how it was always conceived. But now I'm rolling into that saying, what are the pieces that contribute to the Mandoverse um, instead of let's enjoy these kids and let's, oh, Jude Law is a, maybe a force user. Let's do it. Uh, so um, so I, I think I think it's going to be tough to, to think of anything as superfluous, which I would again say is the problem with um, Marvel right Marvel. now. Like, mm-hmm. hey, Ms. Marvel is just fun and it's about high schoolers. Let's have a laugh. Mm-hmm. No, like you have to take this seriously. <laughs> you have to track the objects and the book. And so I, I, I think it's going to be a, a weird moment in fandom if they don't get that exactly right. <laughs> I feel I, like at, at minimum, Skeleton Crew, its own season is going to be its own thing. Mm-hmm. But then sort of like in a an Avengers Assemble style moment, they like show up help right like apropos of like almost nothing you know what i mean like i feel like that's very possible that it's just kind of like like that they that they have their own story they're dealing with in their own show but then they kind of towards the end maybe stumble into the larger conflict and then end up getting involved in the other stories um so i can definitely see that happening but uh i agree that like i originally when when we heard about that show at the last last year's celebration it definitely seemed like its own thing because it's sort of also targeted at a different demographic. Like it seemed like they were pitching it like to younger audiences potentially. Um, and that it wasn't going to be as serious. Right. Or, you know, but now who knows PT, what were you going to say? I, well, I was, uh, I was going to say that, you know, to harken back to something Greg said a little while ago, which was, you know, these shows have to teach us how to watch them. Um, that, 
I was, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty bullish on the book of Boba Fett as like, I, I liked it. I think more than a lot of uh, other people did. Um, I, I, I do think I, I do, I do have like one suggestion of like a, this, this would fix a bunch of the narrative issues. Um, I don't know why Boba Fett wanted to become the crime boss and he like, it's not made clear. Um, and that's the, that's the core issue I think. But um, one of the sort of how do we watch these shows was that there you know was like something that clearly felt like episode one, season three of The Mandalorian was kind of jammed in there. And then I was a defender of that because I was like, oh, well, this is just how these movies are going to work. Sorry, these shows, the Mandoverse shows are going to are they're, they're teaching us that like these are going to interconnect to the degree that we will get basically episodes of another show mm. in uh, in this. And, you know, when we got the Dr. Pershing episode in Mando season three, it was like, ah, yes, like this is like another show that we're getting like a half hour e- episode of in the middle. Like this is all going to start to make sense. And then it like that didn't really get picked up on again and it didn't really make sense. And I'm like, wait, maybe that maybe I'm giving them too much credit. I'm giving you know John Favreau too much credit for having like this sort of high minded idea of we're going to, you know, the Ahsoka series is going to have an episode that is like kind of focused on Boba Fett because like, that's what we're doing. And maybe skeleton crew has an episode where someone comes in and I don't know if that's true anymore. I think it was just a, we only have so much material for Book of Boba Fett. We have too much material for Mando season three. You've got Mando in my Boba Fett. Like that's how <laughs> it, uh, it it ended up working out. Um, so yeah, I and the only other thing I will say uh, on this this thread is I wish they just hadn't included Skeleton Crew in the discussion of like and the movie's going to be the culmination of blah. I'd rather it have been a surprise that mm. like Skeleton Crew. It's another show. It's taking place at the same time, um, but now it is burdening it with the expectation of even if it is like Mandalorian season one of like it's its own thing in its own corner. No one's really seeing, paying attention to it, or it's not connected with anything else. Everyone's just like, when are we getting to the fireworks factory of Din and Grogu <laughs> showing up or Ahsoka popping in? Like it, that, that there's going to be, you know, every week will be the like, is this the week when, when it's just like, just let it be its own thing and grow. So yeah, I think that may have been a disservice. To and again, a that's show. a problem that Marvel shows have had, right? Cause she Hulk very, explicitly actually in the show kind of made fun of fans to be like we know you want daredevil like we know we know that's what you're here for we don't like it but we know like and kind of playing with the idea of like oh is this going to be the episode that has daredevil in it right so um so yeah i can i it's like the more i think about the more parallels i see in the storytelling but if i go back if you go back to early marvel I think the beauty of those early phases was that the individual pieces were m- largely unconcerned with plugging into the larger story, mm. but they mm-hmm. did incrementally bit by bit. Like there'd be little, like the stinger, right? For Or like the end credit scene for one of them would have something that maybe would get picked up later. Or like, you know, a future movie would take something that seemed small in one of the earlier movies and then kind of like expand it. So but but that was never at the expense of the story that we're getting in the moment. Um, and so that's my worry is that like that that we're trying to do a Marvel thing, but it's later Marvel than rather than earlier. Like we're trying to fast forward to Endgame too quickly, basically, mm-hmm. as opposed to letting it build. But maybe like Greg said, it's, it's going to be five years probably since until we get the Dave Filoni movie. So maybe that will be enough time to sort of do this. Do it right. I would one last thing I want to note is uh, Jen and I went to the Paley Fest panel. I think we may have mm. 
uh, that might have been mentioned at some point. I don't know why in, in another episode we did. Um, but we went to this PaleoFest panel that had uh, John Favreau and Dave Filoni uh, and Rick. I always mispronounce his last name. Famayua? Am I saying that right? Okay. I got some nods. Um, <laughs> and then Pedro Pascal and Katie Sackhoff. And it was interesting because that was like the Friday before cele- – like the week before Celebration um uh in in london so you know they hadn't made any of these announcements yet um and uh i i will say this in the context of it was very clear that john favreau was uh uh enjoying um poking dave filoni about like oh like this could be a spoiler um like saying things that like you could tell made made dave filoni nervous and you know filoni (laughs) talked about uh, how he's just like, I can't say anything. I'm not allowed to, like, I'm, I'm giving you answers that don't uh, have any content, but I'm pretending there's content and you agree as if I've, I've said anything to you when I've said nothing and we just have to keep doing this, um, <laughs> which was very funny. Um, and, uh, but like in that panel, John Favreau was just sort of like, I want to do this as long as they'll let me. Like, basically he's like, I want to keep doing this. We have plans. It made it sound like he had plans for like years and years out. Like they've already written season four and that like, we're ready to just go and 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 keep going with this. Um, and that felt like an interesting contrast to there is an end point that Dave is responsible for. And, you know, I don't want to be like, you know, YouTube uh, thumbnails with just red eyes on both John Favreau and Dave <laughs> Filoni, where it's just like, oh, fight between Favreau and Filoni. But it's like, I wondered like, like, what is the sort of thing? Is is there a possibility they're going to do this movie and then it's like, and Mandalorian season seven's coming out like in 18 months? Or is it mm. just going to be like, no, this is the end of that chapter and we wrap it up? Or is it more like, mm. you know, the first Avengers movie or, or Endgame where it's like we end this whole um, sequence, but then it's like, we're going to return to your favorite characters um, already in progress, like telling more stories. I don't know. It'd be interesting. All right. Time will tell. I guess it's yeah. the only way to to react to that. I mean, it it is interesting. I, I like the point. Marvel almost works better when it pulls from what's already come into the future. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think you're right that at this moment they're projecting us forward so much it feels much more like late Marvel. And um yeah. But I also just want to put the last point in which is but if you don't like any of that you have andor you have acolyte you have endless books and comics you have james man so the good thing is i think that they have so many options for fans that you know the blast points podcast always talks about the beautiful star wars buffet and you can go (laughs) grab whatever you want and fill up your plate and there's plenty of it and i i think that to me more than anything gives me comfort and optimism because if something's not working for me, I will not go on the internet and make 20 videos about how terrible it is. I will just move on and eat the other thing at the buffet. I'm quite skilled at buffets and I will enjoy applying those skills here. <laughs> uh, yeah, also, shout out the Bad Batch, which yeah. we got one yeah. more season of that coming and that's incredible. Yeah, uh, for sure. Yeah, and and all of this sort of speculation and concern is is not necessarily to say that like we're complaining about what we're getting it's quite the opposite it's like what what a time to be a star wars fan (laughs) and like we're so lucky we're so incredibly lucky to be getting all of this content um it's it's just yeah it's just interesting to think about what the how the franchise sort of continues to evolve and grow and expand um yeah um all right so to to wrap up because i know we've been going 
for quite some time now. Um, <laughs> is, uh, we're we're approaching the two hour mark, <laughs> which um, which I don't know if you're still listening. Thank you um, <laughs> just for sticking with us. You must really like Star Wars. Um, and so, that, you know, since we are always with one eye on the on the Oscars, you know, I just wanted to there's not a whole lot to talk about here, but I did want to kind of acknowledge that that's, you know, the this history of the of Star Wars and the Oscars and sort of again let end with like some light speculation um so uh a new hope actually won several oscars uh art direction which i think now would be production design costume design editing score sound and visual effects and then it was actually nominated for a bunch of above the line categories best picture director uh i think screenplay um and it and and then that sort of like it all went downhill from there in terms of Oscar wins because uh, Empire only won sound, um, which, again, because, you know, citing our earlier conversation about how Empire, we like many people agree that Empire is the best of the original best film of the original trilogy. So the fact that A New Hope cleaned up at the Oscars and then Empire came away with just one win seems a little wrong. Um, and then Return of the Jedi won absolutely nothing. Um, sequels and prequels have gotten some nom- nominations but only for craft categories, sort of like visual effects and score. Uh, and so my question kind of is like, is there, will there ever be a time when Star Wars films can be Oscar contenders again? <laughs> no, thank you. And good night. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm going to put my hopes on Andor for Emmys. I just, yeah. I think the Academy has moved on from Star Wars boy, do they want to hawk you some Star Wars merchandise to help pay for their museum, but I don't think they're ever going to or uh, honor Star Wars again. Maybe the exception being if there is somehow some kind of incredible acting performance, um, a la, you know, the the odd one that gets nominated in a Marvel movie, but they also don't win. Uh, sorry. Uh, so I think that's about all we can hope for. Yeah, I mean, this is a terrible thing to say, but I'll say it anyway. It might have to be a Heath Ledger style, like real life tragedy, where it's just like, you know, if, you know, th- th- is there some way that they're like, we have to honor this person? Mm-hmm. Um, but, you Don't know, they're in the universe. People. I know. That was, that was, <laughs> I said it was a bad thing to say. Uh, but I mean, you know, there was like, you know, and this was more fandom than in any sort of reality, but there was the sort of like, you know, Harrison Ford, could he get a best supporting actor for The Force Awakens or Mark mm-hmm. Hamill for um, The Last Jedi? And obviously those things. Uh, didn't happen. Um, wh- what I will say is um, I-, I also was looking up um, the sort of Oscar history. I was like, oh, maybe I'll do like, I'll, I'll surprise you guys with a little uh, quiz, but I didn't put anything about it in the Google doc. And then Jen actually put all the answers. So I was like, okay. <laughs> um, but um, both uh, 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 all three of the original trilogy movies um, won non-competitive Oscars as well, which mm. I was kind of confused as to what that meant, but they all got special achievement um, Academy Awards, and I looked up what those were, and it seems like they are um, technical craft categories that can exist, but at the time in the 70s and 80s and through like the early 90s, there was like a special committee that would do the nominations, um, which is a slightly different than the way the branches handle it now. Um, like I think now they have it where it's like there's a like there's a short list that like has to be a certain amount of movies but back in the day it was like there was a committee and basically if the committee was like there's only one movie that could get this award so we're just going to give it like we're not mm-hmm. even going to like have it be a competitive category we're just giving it and so it was sound effects 
um, which went to Ben Burt for Star Wars. That was like the droid sounds, the alien sounds, um, and all the blasters and lightsabers and everything. They were just like, no, here, obviously here. Like we're not doing a competitive category <laughs> this year. You just win. And then um, for Empire and Jedi, it was visual effects. So those are categories that exist and could have been competitive, but like it was basically like, you're so good. Like we're not doing that. Um, and so every, uh, all but one, movie since then star wars movie has been nominated for visual effects do you guys know which movie uh did not get nominated for visual effects live action the clone wars didn't get nominated for anything it didn't even get best (laughs) animated movie um so not that one but yeah it's i'm gonna guess rise of skywalker Okay. Which is one I should know because I was definitely paying close attention to the Oscars then, but I I feel like I, I'm feeling good about that. Okay. Jen? I feel like it's going to be something weird. Like solo a star wars story (laughs) so yeah i think these are both great answers and i think i would have said either of those um even though those were both nominated uh it was revenge of the sith uh revenge of the sith didn't get nominated for visual effects which i think speaks to the like prequel burnout of just like Mm. people just being like no like uh, yeah sure he's doing all this stuff i don't know um and they just didn't like just the disrespect um it only got uh i think it got makeup um, like it got only one nomination mm. and I think it was, it was, it was for makeup. Um, so all that to be said, I think that a future star Wars movie could win visual effects, but that's it. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and maybe it could be a sound, it could be a sound design. If somehow at the age of like 96, John Williams comes back to do the new Jedi order, like <laughs> soft episode 10, uh, score, maybe they're like, look we got to give him another Oscar. Like, but, um, you know, I think, I think it's, they're just a craft category thing now, unless barring something absolutely insane. Um, but I mean, I would contend the last Jedi was absolutely insane and should have mm. like gotten, um, a lot more attention. So, you know, could there be a movie that many degrees better than the last Jedi that comes out in the star Wars world, um, that takes the Academy by storm. I, I would love to see it, but I don't, I think, I think visual effects is the cap. Yeah. And I think you're right that like Star Wars is like too big now. Mm. I think that's part of it. Right. Because like to explain its earlier wins for the original trilogy, I feel like it was so new and no one had ever seen anything like it before. And then therefore it kind of cleaned up. But now it's just so staple in our entertainment lives that like (laughs) it's business as usual and not going to not going to get any attention. And it's also Disney now. Right. I I don't think that's that's not just a YouTuber point on this one that, you know, it's another part of this behemoth studio that owns everything as opposed to its own unique thing. All right. Well, this was, to borrow Greg's phrase, a buffet of a (laughs) podcast. So much good stuff. Thank you. Thank you both so much. Um, Greg, where can folks find you on the Internet? Uh, thank you for having me on. It's always a pleasure to be on Long Take. Uh, I have already begun my binge of Wes Anderson movies, uh, preparing for my next appearance, unless Mission Impossible tapes first. But um, uh, and apologies to both of you. Uh, my costume bit turned into a slow motion striptease as I got hot and uncomfortable <laughs> over the last two hours. So uh, people can find me not doing that on the internet uh, anywhere on social media. I'm Ion Cannon, E-Y-E-O-N-C-A-N-O-N. I do not have a cosplay only fans yet at this point, but I will make that announcement here uh, when the time comes. 
Greg, this is a family show. What are you doing? <laughs> the, more, the more papers you grade at the end of the semester, I think the the more that's going to look like an appealing alternative. <laughs> that's, that's a better career. Yeah. <laughs> and PT, and where, can, where can people find you? Uh, I, you can barely find me on uh, Instagram and Letterboxd at PT McNiff, P-T-M-C-N-I-F-F. And you can find me at Subchakjai. S-O-P-C-H-O-C-K-C-H-A-I on Instagram and Qui-Gon Jen on Letterboxd. And again, thank you both. Happy Star Wars Day. May the Force be with you. Thank you for listening. You can follow The Long Take on Substack at thelongtake.substack.com. Subscribe for free to receive reviews of films with Oscar buzz, as well as new films and series from pop franchises like Star Wars and Marvel. 